said yes to coming on Life and Inside Job, I was really delighted. And we agreed that she would just rock up and uh, bring whatever was hot for her in the moment to do it spontaneously rather than decide on a topic, a particular topic to talk about. And I'm so glad we did because Ron brought such a juicy topic to Inside Job. Because if we need to know anything in this world, it's how to handle ourselves. It's definitely at the top of my list. And we had a sweet and soulful conversation that covered Ron's story and her journey with learning the skills uh, from the, her teachers, along with the approach that she uses with clients who are also figuring out how to handle themselves, which is also known as how to be human, how to be a good human. She's an embodied facilitator, empowerment and compassion coach, and a non-violent communication practitioner, which is a lot of word spaghetti and doesn't even begin to describe what she offers, which is all heart and soul and vulnerability, uh, and it's all properly grounded in an acceptance of herself. And part of the goal that this delivers to us us lucky people, is that she really doesn't feel the need to fix us or herself. So, when you're angry or upset or acting out, how can you handle yourself? So, I'm... I'm very excited, Ron, because your suggestion today was to talk about how to handle yourself, and I don't know how to handle myself. <laughs> Can you teach me? <laughs> I certainly can suggest things. Okay. And like with many things, um, I'm aware in me you know, of the many, many, many years of not handling myself. And uh, that's such a beautiful question, you know, because I understand now that I would never have understood at the time that younger me would have been very reactive, stuck in the head, trying to think everything through, believing that thoughts are real and that we have to follow every one of them. And it, it has been a long and windy path to mm. get to somewhere where I can go, oh, it was like that. And these new things I've learned, how can I support younger me and say, it's all right, sweetheart. Mm. You really did the best you knew how to do. Everyone does that. You know, you weren't a bad person. And it hurts a lot to witness past self um past actions decisions so how do, what have i brought together now that i can practice enough for it to actually work when i'm in the middle of something mm. and noticing and it's something about noticing myself from the inside rather than being as though my head's on the outside going what are you doing do it like this do it like that so there's very much a learning about the brain being part of the whole body and this is not the control room that um so i've learned a lot about embodiment that allows me to go oh that's a twitch what's that about or oh what's that pain about so part of the practice is noticing how i am moment to moment mm -hmm. and to notice all of that without judgment so my work with empathy and compassion says, oh, my gosh, that really hurt. And now you're furious. OK, you know, and taking that time out, it's like taking, you know, the movie reel and just stretching it out, splicing it and just putting in some silence and saying, oh, yeah, I do feel sad. You make it sound very neat though, and tidy and like. <laughs> I know you've had a lot of practice, but life isn't usually like that. <laughs> no, but the practices, 
So grad, you see, it's like you're practicing away in the back room on, on off stage, you know, and you practice you know, some awareness, some compassion for yourself, some different language around what you're doing and what other people are doing, because so much of not being able to handle ourselves comes from reacting to, oh, I don't like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And really what we're saying is, oh, I don't want to hurt right now. I want to be all fluffy and happy. And it goes around. It seems to go around in circles. I'll practice something and that'll help for a while. And then I'll feel, well, actually, no, I need something more here. So I've I've done things like following particular teachers following particular mm, practices and, and, and formats like like the embodiment which you know has form and freedom and nonviolent communication and that that helped me because it let me know about my own feelings which uh, I didn't know before I reacted because I couldn't connect to what my heart was feeling. So it's taken a while. You know, it really is about gradually deepening into something. And it's probably also about not fixing myself and not saying, oh, you're a terrible person. You mustn't do that. But to go, oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, there's another thing I've been learning recently. It's been there, you know. But one of my um, ancient unconscious contracts was about there is no support. I've got to do everything myself. Okay, and just I'm recently, gonna, I'm just going to pause here and go. <sighs> That's certainly true for me too. And I think it's a very common one. Yeah. And it also comes along with its friends. It has a little posse. Yes. Called, I, I have to hold myself together. And yeah. don't come too close. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And there's another un unfortunate um, ally of that, which is, and if you do come close and I allow it, you've then got to be this perfect image that's going to help me all the time. <laughs> which is not realistic thank you oh. what, was, what was your original family like what did you learn from them about well <laughs> that is a tough question it it felt um mm, I know that I was loved, but I'm a very touchy-feely, affectionate, close, cuddly person. And there wasn't enough of that for me. And there wasn't enough recognition. And I don't believe that anybody was doing anything bad. They were also doing the best that they knew how to do. And that, that was motivated by really powerful and great intentions. But I needed more recognition, affirmation that I was okay as I was, more affirmation around quite a variety of things like music and activity and sport and poetry and literature and, you know, many other things that I know I enjoyed when I was younger but left aside because I didn't realise they were important parts of me. Um, and I start, you know, when, when you learn things from your family of origin, remember my family of origin were immigrants and they needed to look after themselves. And so they understandably didn't really encourage me to mix very much. Mm. And really, I didn't learn how to be with other people and relate with them from a place of being me so as I, I got older but I wasn't more emotionally mature and I didn't know who how it was to be myself and to meet the world from there I was always 
clinging to the world to help me and, you know, wanting the world to tell me I'm okay. And the world would have been different individuals or people that I work with or friends or, and, and, uh, I didn't know that at the time, but I can look back now and say that was so painful because it really squashed the, the energy in me because I'm a very outgoing person. Everybody that knows me knows that. And I need to be out there and have a laugh with people and, you know, be experiencing giving, contributing to the world and receiving from the world. So I really got stuck there for about 30 years or so of not not coming into myself and trusting and knowing this is how I am and that's okay and if I'm if I'm upset or sad or scared that all of those things are okay and I, I began to latch on to everything being the same way every day and that that would be okay that would be safe I guess that the brain recognizes things as danger or safety. I probably wouldn't have used those words, but I was always longing for something else and imagining it would come from outside of me somewhere. That's such an interesting question that I want to write more about. Mm. And it's hard, actually. It's quite painful to sit down and try writing it. Mm. Are they alive? Are your are your parents alive still? No, my parents are not alive. Mm. And uh, my father was ninety six when he died. Mm -hmm. And uh, good genes then. Exactly. Got some more partying years to <laughs> in your boots. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. And my father was quite an outgoing person. It, my mother was quite shy. And, uh, yeah, that, those things affected me. And during my 20s and 30s, I really didn't grow. You know, I, I just kind of got to a place where I thought, oh, I'll just do what I do every day. And I knew there was stuff missing. I knew that. I wasn't okay. I was really stressed out and anxious all the time. Often, you know. And uh, and those things were not really named. So I wasn't also reaching out for help because I had no idea how you did that. I thought you just had to be okay. So, you know, to look, you know, bright, bubbly. And I didn't actually, that's so important. If you are in your head and on your own and you're not sure how to get, how do you do it? What What is it you could, I, I mean, I question that for myself. What is it I could have done at the time when I didn't have resources that I have now? And the people that were around me at the time, there was, I don't think there was anybody there that could have said, you know, probably the fact that you're stressed a lot is really important. Are there any ways in which you could get some relief from that, for instance, you know? And what, how, so what happened? You, you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, the windy path. Yeah. So you were stressed in, stressed and a bit stuck in your 30s doing the same thing every day. So what, what opened the, what was the key that opened the door for you? Well. The door to your heart. Oh. One thing I do want to say here, Kate, is that when I was in my 30s and 40s, I was and obviously still am a mother. And my children didn't really benefit from me being stressed all the time. And uh, I, I really hadn't been coping well with being in that marriage. Again, my husband didn't do anything wrong. Wounded people often don't know how to help each other. And I wasn't, I just constantly still longing for something from outside. And I met someone else. I left the marriage. And I met someone who was very gentle and loving and tender. 
And after four years, he took his own life. He was very ill with depression and anxiety. And actually, the heartbreak was this was some sort of gift in disguise because it kind of collapsed everything that I'd been holding on to. And after it, it was a while, you know, a, a few years I was still working, I was paying a mortgage. Um, one day I realized that I was still alive and that the future had vanished, the one that I thought was going to happen, and that I was starting again. And it was about this time when I came across Marsha Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. And I, I was quite resistant, you know. <laughs> Someone said, oh, you'd love to come to this camp. And I was like, no, don't be silly. I don't want to go to a camp. <laughs> Oh, so I went to the camp. Despite <laughs> yourself. It's, but, it's like, but I was ready to go at any moment, you know. I was like, okay, well, I don't know what is going on. I'll go, I'll go home now, you know. And uh, the very, very, very lovely person came and sat with me. And I don't know to this day what they, what he said, but it was some, it was very, so kind. And really witnessing the pain that I was in and really just sitting with me and acknowledging, you know, that I missed my boyfriend and that I felt, you know, cut off and lonely and imagining all the happy times that I had had with him or would have had in the future. And so he's still a friend. <laughs> I went to, after that, I went to about 10 more camps. <laughs> so, <laughs> so discovering that there were people to whom I could open my heart and that the world wouldn't come to an end, and that they were different people. You know, again, it isn't all one person. Different people could hear a little bit and be compassionate towards me. And that was quite new rather than judging that as, oh, gosh, I'm boring people. I need to sort myself out to be able to just let it pour out because actually it was pouring out <laughs> anyway. And starting to learn that language about expressing what my feelings were. And, and like we said, you know, earlier, I wasn't very skilled, you know. Um, But gradually over time, of course, I began to internalize it. And that's the gift, you know, that, that, that I could internalize a new language that helped me to understand myself better, to be more at ease with myself, and therefore to express myself more easily with other people without being demanding or right, without expecting something specific back from them the principles of that have really helped me No, as if I can recognize what it is I'm needing, no one has to do that for me, but I could ask and actually simply knowing how I am is a huge gift. And uh, that was amazing. And then in 2015, Actually, in 2014, I went on a one-day course on embodiment. And that one day is just very wide open in my memory of I have to have this in my life. You know, I have to have this in my life forever. So I do now because I went on a, on a full course, became an embodied facilitator. And that awareness that my body is important, I mean, that was completely new. Uh, and that keeps deepening mm -hmm. and that all of that is just gradually bringing me to a place where I create moment to moment a loving relationship between my thinking brain 
and the whole rest of my body and nervous system rather than them being separate things. And I've that's a conscious thing that I have chosen every single time. And by noticing, oh, I'm just about to go off, you know, and lose myself and to say, oh, what would it be like? Like, so yesterday when I was in a lively discussion with someone and I was excited about what I wanted to contribute and I could sense that for the other person, what I was contributing may not have been their cup of tea. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, Ron would not have let go of that. I would have gone on grinding on about it to myself or to someone else. And it, today, yesterday, it was just like, okay, that's not the place that person's in. The place I'm in is I can just leave that. I, I can ask my brain to not churn around on that and just say, okay, Ron, we can just let go of that one. And to be able to do that relatively quickly, Kate, that's a huge thing. From not grinding on it for a week and then going, oh, flip, this is, you know, this is hard. To really genuinely be able to let go does require just noticing what it is to hold on to something that's difficult. So I can do that too. Mm. There's something that I do too, and I don't know how I do it. And I know that some people, some some people can't. Yeah. So, is it possible? <laughs> is it yeah. possible to break down the mechanics of it? Because I, I hear you talking. I love the way you articulate your little selves. Yes. I, 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 I just don't want to hurt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can all so relate. I love that little, that little darling. Let's give her a big hug. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> In your head and, you know. So is there, a, is, do you have an intermediary? Is there a third person? What are the mechanics with this? Oh. Right. Well, you might not know, and that's fine too. Well, I've done a lot of work with um, somebody called Sarah Payton. I have studied her work because she is a certified nonviolent communication trainer and a family constellations facilitator and a neurobiology specialist. Gosh, she's like <laughs> collected the set, right? Exactly. She's, <laughs> she, she trained with Dan Siegel and Peter Levine, and um, and she's written this book called Your Resonant Self, and that has been another very recent step in this deepening of simply understanding that different parts of my brain are all doing the job that they're supposed to do. So that's helped me enormously. Uh, the nonviolent communication helped me to, to recognize that my left brain did a lot of thinking. And that tended to take over. And that's quite hard. I, yeah, I agree. It's very hard to let go of that because we've been doing it all our lives. You know, I, I was about 50 by the time I did that. And I therefore practiced that quite a lot. It, it is about drip feeding and little by little going, oh, that's my head. One of the Buddhist teachings about letting thoughts go by as clouds. That really helped me to just go, oh, right, those are thoughts. OK, I'm just going to let them go by. And so acknowledgement, yes, I'm overthinking this. I'm thinking about it a lot. That's, that's, that's quite painful. I'm not enjoying it. I'm getting more stressed out. That's not helpful. And so that, some of those practices really helped me. The Buddhist practice about being present really helped me. That if I'm here in my body and my thoughts are drifting around over there about somebody else's story, that I wasn't present. And to, to sort of collect myself and just say, yeah, here I am in this place, all of me, you know, the whole bit, every single bit. So many of those things have helped me as practices that I've, have kind of become embedded in me and more integrated little by little. So definitely it's not quick, but practices are amazing. You know, being a, a life coach and inviting my clients to create their own practices from things that we try in the sessions. And it's very much a case of, well, what can you practice day to day? 
what what quality can you bring into your everyday life that's going to make a big difference as it settles in? So, you know, books, YouTube videos, specific teachers have helped me. And there are some teachers, you know, that really work for me that I found easy to learn from. Uh, Pema Chodron is one of the Buddhist teachers that I've really enjoyed. Thich Nhat Hanh is one of them who it just felt you know, that sense of relief, reading them or listening to their recordings of, yes, of course it's like that. And allowing my own heart to be open enough to receive the beauty of those things. And the more that I did that, recognizing that my head didn't need to take over because everything was settled and calmer and feeling more gentle and receptive. So it, it, yeah. How does how how does that sound for, you know, someone who, for instance, thinks about things a lot and chews over them, practicing dropping thoughts down into the body, imagining them as dropping down, as droplets, you know, just dropping through the head. And one of my favorite teachers on this is Philip Shepherd allowing whatever energy there is in the head where we tend to keep our center of awareness to let it drop down through the body gently and come to rest in the pelvic bowl. And Philip teaches about the pelvic bowl being the ground of being and the ground of presence connected to the ground. A blow. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wonder, wonderful teacher. And that's that's very beautiful and powerful. And I met Philip on the second second embodiment now the first embodiment conference. And I really honed in on that because he talked about myths. You know, we always use in our language words like get to the top getting ahead, you know, who's the head of the, the company? And he said, the, ho the whole doesn't have one bit that's more important than the other parts. Everything matters. The whole matters. And so his concept of radical wholeness and the title of uh, his first book, you know, that's that really clicked for me. And I went, I need to, to learn more about this. So I went to a weekend training of his, followed by a five-day deep dive afterwards from, you know, in Ireland. And, yeah, so those are practices that I continue um, with other people that follow his work. So it's a real combination of finding what works for, for me as an individual, but all of those things I share with a lot of other people. So the MVC community, you know, is a worldwide community. The embodiment community is a worldwide community. And, uh, you know, so many of us follow Philip's radical wholeness. And he's been speaking at different conferences recently, working with, um, you know, uh, Gabal Mate's wisdom of trauma film and some of that. And those things about defining the word trauma and allowing part of my life to have included trauma and that that can be healed. Okay. Um, this Zoom, whenever, when I, it's very good for me. Whenever I interrupt you or speak too quickly on your tail, <laughs> it sounds like there's a dog barking. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. It's very good for me because I, I'm too eager. I'm always interrupting people, which is like against the law, really. But hey, there you go. Um, what I wanted to backtrack a bit to, if you could say something um, for people who haven't come across nonviolent communication before. So just mm -hmm. get a flavour of what that is, because it's so useful. Yeah. Well, that's it's just OK. So, you know, the the. the principles about nonviolent communication are that um, 
that we can find a, a way of connecting um, from our hearts. So a language that comes from the heart where everybody's needs matter. We're used to this world where we, <coughs> excuse me, you're gonna have to do some editing there. <laughs> yeah. So we're so used to a world where it seems like there's a right and a wrong or a good and a bad and that one thing's better than something else and that these things are always in conflict with each other. And this is what violence is like, where the, the, the energy of, no, that's wrong, that mustn't happen, I cannot accept that, I will not accept it, I've got to get rid of that at all costs. To change that into having an intention to connect, because violence, of course, disconnects. As soon as people have, begin an argument, it's like they fly to opposite corners of the room. They can't hear each other anymore. So nonviolent communication is about connection, how to stay in connection by bringing our attention to uh, compassion rather than what someone's done wrong. And therefore it takes us away from blaming and judging into, oh, I see you've got some different needs right now and I wasn't looking at those. I was, I was kind of coming from where I really needed this and you really needed that. Okay, that makes, that's, wow. Let's just sit with that, that we were coming from these completely different places without realizing it. And all that's kind of the subtext going on inside of us. And we don't realize it's there. So we, we kind of conflict over, you know, the decision. Oh, I am not going to go to Brighton for the weekend <laughs> or whatever it is. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to watch that film. So, you know, the first permission from that was for me to come into my heart. What's great about that is that as we, we can learn and practice nonviolent communication and we can have more calm and meaning and ease in our ordinary conversations. And so it can lead to people's needs being met peacefully and having attention on being present. But of course, when we lead from the head, we are reactive. So what I normally teach is that when someone says or does something or circumstances come up, we react. And when we feel that, the information goes straight to the brain that says, you've got to do something about this. This is not okay. So as well as feeling it in the amygdala or the, the emotion part of the brain, it goes immediately to the frontal cortex that wants to do something. And th those are the things that it does, blaming, judging, analyzing, criticizing, comparing, labeling. That's what that does. And when we can see that that's only part of the story, part of who we are as people, of course we do that. That's what we've learned. And we often get into defending ourselves. And of course we do. Because these are common practices and we see them everywhere. They're on television, they're in drama, they're in, um, you know, advertising. They're very familiar. So, of course, we do those things. And so to learn to come out of reaction and reactivity is to pause and go, oh, that's me flying off the handle again into reacting. Whoa. And you're right, it takes a lot to just drop out of that, little by little, you know, and say, it's often much easier to see in other people. <laughs> oh, they're reacting. Oh, I, that's what they're doing. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it comes home to... Oh, I, I, I can see that happening in that person. Of course, that's not my call. 
because I I do that and I I've got another friend who who does who, who she does work that's based on love and play and she taught me this quality of that thing that I don't like in that person when am I like that and when I'm like that is where I can understand where they're coming from but also I can heal that part of me because it's in me and I can't do a damn thing about what's going on for them but I can say oh I react violently too I do want to, over, you know, overtake, crush, chill, you know, get rid of something that I don't like. So which part of me can't bear it? And the part of me that can't bear it is so vulnerable and tender that I can't even bear to speak about it. That's why we don't speak about it. Because if we admitted how painful and tender it is to go, I can't bear it because it hurts me a lot because of a million other things that have happened. I'm just so vulnerable that actually it's easier to scream and shout and yell at someone else and blame someone than to say, actually, I am reacting in that way because I'm so hurt and so soft. And we, we associate softness with weakness all of those things have been around for generations, you know, that, um, and, and good old left brain, you know, I thank my left brain for doing its uh, thinking because it stands me in good stead. It, you know, that to make decisions and to take action, they're important. Of course they are, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes we need to pause and just reflect and have compassion for ourselves. And if we can have compassion for our own vulnerability and go, yeah, I felt so soft and everything hurt and I couldn't bear it. And to, to allow that to be alive in us, you know, that's one of Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication questions, what's alive in you? And to acknowledge what's alive in us is a big step especially when it's difficult, painful. And we haven't often got ways to process it in the moment. That's another reason why we might churn on things for a week or a month, because we sometimes don't have the skills and resources to process it there and then. So it stays. And those difficult, painful feelings kind of get stuck you know, caught up in nerves and muscles and tissues. And so gradually things like movement that allow us to sort of attend to tangles and knots and stuck pieces, they can be released in many ways. For some people, singing is the key thing, sounding. Some it's movement, you know, ecstatic dance or African dance or whatever. There are many, many ways of moving that really support us in releasing bits and pieces and stuck thoughts. So nonviolent communication requires that we speak, we come from our hearts, we tend to our hearts and through that to our tenderness. Mm. And we have to notice our reactivity. Mm. And and something which I'm I'm kind of picking up through the picking up the threads through what you're sharing with us is that there's a, there's a lot of doing nothing going on <laughs> <laughs> in very crucial points. Mm. That's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because we want to, you know, we want to. We want to fix it. We want to move on. We want to yeah. save the world, be right, whatever our particular yeah. favourite thing is. All of those things. But the doing nothing <laughs> part is usually the most useful. It reminds me of um, Uma Dinsmore Tooley. She says, humans, <laughs> humans are less dangerous when they're lying, when they're resting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> doing nothing. At least you're not going to cause, cause any more pain. <laughs> Do you know, 
that's that's so true and very beautiful Kate it really is that if we gave ourselves one of the things that I practice for myself um through burnout was to always put space in between things that I was doing so to always punctuate activities with timeout and space and at first that needed to just be you know resting and gathering my energy and gradually now it's become time out to say connect with nature and if it's five minutes or if it's two hours it's possible to benefit we know when we know what we're doing saying okay hold it everyone i've got to have this time out you know please excuse me i have just got to go and stare into space for a while and we know and that again, by practicing things over time, we can then do it in 10 minutes. Where sometimes it might have taken years of practicing it for five minutes a day, but gradually it comes and becomes integrated into the way we are. And we start recognizing it so well, we can go, oh, that's, that's a bit much for me. I've just got to step back now. And that's part of nonviolent communication, to be able to make a request of someone that sounds like it's really hard for me to be with this discussion right now. It feels a bit heavy. Um, my head feels a bit stewed. My heart doesn't know where it is. I just need a bit of time out, but I'd love to talk to you about it tomorrow. How would that be? You know, to be able to make a request that isn't, I'm just not talking to you now. Just go away and leave me alone, you know? And that, and to recognize it needs those, those discussions that that's painful. The other person doesn't know you're coming from the heart that's, uh, that's uh, overwhelmed. All they're hearing is, you don't want to talk to me, therefore I must be wrong because that's what we've learned. You know, I've been bad. Uh, oh, no. Whereas when it comes from that beautiful, sweet, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm feeling, and if we take responsibility for our own feelings, that helps the other person to know they didn't do something bad. You know, they haven't done something wrong. And also it teaches people, it, it models for other people. I can't manage to talk about this right now, but I'm sufficiently okay to say that rather than to just scream slam doors and whatever to let you know how I am and that that comes from a quality of grounded presence I'll complete what I was saying about nonviolent communication so when you've got this sort of container about intending to connect and to um to speak from the heart so that everyone's needs can be met what you're doing is, first of all, you focus on yourself so you know what's going on in here. Then you try to express it to someone. And the distance between those two things is already quite great. You know, sounds all right in here. And then you tell someone and they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, so that's quite hard. But then, you know, one, one of the great things about nonviolent communication is to, to have some buddies that are also learning and that are happy to practice with you and to go on doing that, you know, at whatever stage in your learning you are to always have some buddies that can say, yes, I, I can listen to you and maybe offer some empathy. What do you want? 10 minutes, half an hour. And to be heard because to be heard is, and, and this is often where violence comes from. When we're not heard, we often have this, this belief that we're wrong and we're bad. So to be heard, you know, just to have someone go, yeah, 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 of course it's like that. Whoa, you know, that's huge. And then if we can connect to our own feelings, whatever they are and whatever our needs are, and we can express them to others without blaming them or blaming ourselves, but simply to acknowledge, then eventually we can receive others. So we can be the one who can hear someone else and say, yeah, Thanks for letting me know about that. I really see how it is for you. Um, and so it's sort of the, that flow of life, which is either 
reflecting inwards, expressing honestly and receiving with empathy. We're doing that all the time, you know, and to practice those. And the summary is to observe without judgment whatever's happened, uh, to notice and be connected to what our feelings are, to recognize that underneath those feelings is a drive that comes from some need that's not being met. And it's that which promotes the behavior that's really painful and, and difficult, but it's driven by some need of mine is so important to me that's not being met that I'm just going to keep pushing. I desperately need that to be met. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just slight. And then we can make those requests, whether they're not demanding, but with a clarity that says, this is all I can cope with right now. Is it okay if we do this later? Or could you help me a bit? Uh, what I'd love is to just go for a 10-minute walk could you, could you listen, you know, and ask of each other things that are manageable? And then, of course, to appreciate <laughs> what is there, you know. That's such a big part, I find, of celebrating all the little steps that we take in, on that windy road, you know, to really acknowledge them and say, yes, you know. My little one is I've got a whole string of of PowerPoint slides, and each of them is a little celebration of something I've done. And it could be a big thing or a tiny thing, but it's simply saying to myself, yes, Ron, you did that, <laughs> you know. And oh. there's a, a colleague of mine called Jenny Rose Smith, and actually it arose from a, a podcast talking about having a daily um, a day, a daily yay, and she calls it her, her daily glow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's something I've adopted, and it's it's often very challenging to celebrate myself. Yeah. Surprisingly hard, considering how desperately <laughs> I need affirmation. Yes. Interesting how I can't, uh, how difficult it is to do it for myself. Oh, I hear you. And I feel all curious, you know, to play with it a bit more because I would literally give myself a pat on the back. Yeah. The, the, the action of, yes, you know, that I matter and that I care about something that I've achieved or spoken up about that was really difficult, you know, just, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And having others around us that also can support that, because that, that's so encouraging, isn't it? If there are others that celebrate something you did. Yay, Kate. <laughs> to finally believe them, you know, somewhere along the lines. Go, yeah, do you know what? <laughs> yes, one of my favourite phrases to my partner is, did I? Did I tell you that I was marvellous? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, no. That's a good one. I love it. That's really did beautiful. I, did, I, did I tell you? Did I tell you that I was marvellous? <laughs> Ron, that you've given us so much juice, and I have about 50 other questions which we don't have time for. <laughs> Um, if you could give one thing to do in a day to improve how your inner world and to handle yourself better, what would that be? One thing. Mm -hmm. It would be, oh, oh. Beautiful, juicy question. One thing. Just feel that, that your feet are on the ground and you're supported by the earth. And allow your breath to come in and nourish the whole of you. That's right. <laughs>
<laughs> it's an economy package, you see. <laughs> well, if it were one, I guess it would be the breath. Mm. But to allow it, not taking a breath, but allowing the breath. Oh my God, that's another, that's another couple of hours discussion about that. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for all your juice and your, uh, for bringing your tenderness. You know, what a gift. What a gift you are. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Go on, give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> I'd love to hear why and what you're proud of within yourself today. So come on over to Kate underscore Codrington over on Instagram and tell me all about it because celebrating yourself is excellent role modelling for the rest of us and we're all struggling at it. If you like Ron, and who wouldn't really, she has a six-week course starting on the 2nd of November, which I strongly suggest you check out because her courses are just amazing. And you can find that on her website. Uh, that's rondebrito.co.uk. So R-O-N-D-E-B-R-I-T-O.co.uk. Or if you prefer, you can connect with Ron on Facebook, if you search for Ron Brito Powerful Embodied Peace, you'll find her Facebook page there. And Ron mentioned loads of resources, really generous, lots of books and teachers. And I've listed most of them for you in the show notes on my website. If you're not already there, go over to katecodrington.co.uk and you'll find them there alongside this episode. Just follow the links on the homepage for Life and Inside Job. So have fun and handle yourself in any way that feels good and truthful and heartful for you. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>